If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply feel discouraged or even defeated, and if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then the Zen Success Show is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa Sims. Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Success. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Andrew Hahn. Dr. Hahn is a Harvard-educated, licensed clinical psychologist, the co-author of the book, The One-Hour Miracle, and the founder of Life-Centered Therapy, a new framework for healing trauma that has gotten extraordinary and very efficient results for anxiety, depression, chronic fatigue, chronic pain, autoimmune disease, patterns of bad relationships, alienation. Over a thousand people have trained in this method internationally and have been getting the same results for their clients and themselves. Welcome, Andy. Thanks, Carissa. It's such a joy. And I'm so looked forward to talking with you. So um, it's just wonderful. Welcome yourself too. Thank you. So I wanted to explore the question, do you believe anyone can be healed? Yes, especially because what I think healing is, is wholeness. Mm. So I think we can all become whole. I think it's just a question of how long it takes for us to have, to have a willingness to become authentically who we are and to let ourselves vulnerably feel what we're feeling. And then to, from that place, know what's true for us and then engage in it. And I think we're all capable of doing that. Mm. I think anyone can hear. Has anyone told you that your the frequency of your voice is healing? Yes, people have told me the frequency of my voice. Frequently, they've told me the frequency of my voice is healing. Yes, they've done that. <laughs> because as you're speaking this, when, when I hear the truth, usually I feel it in my body or my heart expands. And But there was something deeper. It's not just the truth. It's your energy and your vibration. So I really resonated with what you said. And I was like, oh, wow, I, I think I'm getting healed during this interview. <laughs> this is so a bonus. <laughs> Well, it's mutual, you know, we like, and uh, first of all, if you can pick that up, then I'm probably getting healed too. Just okay. from, it's like when you have uh, a resonance, mm. you have open heartedness and open mindedness and real engagement and presence with each other. How can we both like heal more? And then of course, if something's affecting us it's affecting everyone who's listening and ultimately it's affecting all of life so maybe we're all resonating together yeah there's a ripple effect because whoever is listening to this message 
needed to hear it. Maybe their soul found this episode somehow and is resonating with us. And like Andy said, there is this ripple effect that can be exponential on the planet. And I I feel like now more than ever, I, I feel like that frequency is needed and so that for that to be activated within all of us, because like Andy said, we all have that within, and I had to discover that for myself too, because I was always looking to other people to heal and not knowing that, uh, you know, it just needed to be activated within me. Well, we used to call our work and the work we call for, uh, what you might call our lay population, we call guided self-healing and, Mm -hmm. uh, because it's guided by something which is really, you know, self, the larger self, which of course we all have access to. And it's about wholeness. And if we can really be guided by something that is more than just our brains, right? But a part of us just knows what's true and uh, can be fully open-hearted and open-minded and we can access that part of ourselves, then that is the part that can be with us when we're suffering. And uh, we all, that's what I invite people into whenever I work. I say, you know, the part of you that just knows and the part of you that is whole and the soul is here, we just may have to point it in a certain direction just because you needed to know. It already knew, but you just needed a way to um, have it share something with you. So maybe I could have a framework that could help you with that, but you're the one who can find the expertise within for sure. Mm. And that's so empowering the techniques that you give to people because then they can see that the power is not outside of them, but here are just some tools to help you on your journey. And maybe you'll get activated and find that within. I think, I think it's true. I would say it's tools, but it's even more than a tool. Mm. Like if you could find that aspect of being that you're experiencing and not identify with it, but choose to be with it and then say, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. This is my invitation. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm with my, the people I work with, I'm here with them just saying, I'm just here with you. But you get to find the part of you that's you could call a lot of call the inner master or the one who can truly bear witness or whatever, the one who's the experiencer. You can find that one and it can find the parts of what seem like the parts of you that are suffering. And it can be with them. And the second that it's with them, something remarkable happens, which is uh, it's sort of like the trauma gets canceled out and then it gets raised to a heightened vibration, which is all I think healing is. If I come truly into alignment with you, right? And I'm really present with you. Something happens where you say like, it's almost like I'm not alone anymore. And now all the static quiets down. And then we can go on a journey to a much higher place, which is just the place of presence. And then it's like everything goes back to where it's supposed to be into its pure form. And 
the part of you that was suffering gets remembered and uh, it's no longer suffering. Mm, that's so fascinating and profound and beautiful. I want to go back to something that you said when I asked the question, do you believe anyone can be healed about wholeness? And it feels that like you equate this word wholeness to being healed. So when we can experience ourselves as whole, then we can align with that healing. Is that correct? Yes, I would say that it's when you could say, here's what I would say simply. There's, I think there's only one reason people suffer, only one reason, which is something can't be taken in stride and handled. If you could handle everything, right, and you could say, I may not prefer it, but I can be with it, right, you're free because there's no judgmentalism, there's no anxiety. You may not like it, but you'd say, well, I have a preference that something else was happening, but like it's not who I am. So when you can't handle something and take it in stride, right? In that moment, you could say you get stuck or someone gets stuck and that's all it is. And then everything you suffer about from then on is just an echo to help you try to remember the thing that got split off. So you're no longer whole. It's like a something has taken on a life of its own, right? And it believes it's a dense energy like Carissa or Andy. And we're not Carissa or Andy. We're the one who gets to experience Carissa-ing or Andy-ing. <laughs> I, I think ultimately, ultimately, all we are is energy. And energy, of course, is not a noun. It's a verb. It's a, it's I've a never word. heard my name as a verb. I love it. Well, you, yeah, it's, 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 it's you that's experiencing the energy called Carissa, which would only, but there's no, you can't point to it. You can point to the matter that is manifesting as this being, but like, it's just an energy. Now, whenever there's something that can't be handled, whether it's whatever it is, right? You suffer, you're traumatized. And what was pure energy goes into, it slows down in this dimension to the speed of light squared and becomes matter. And then you can experience it as a dense energy. So I think all healing is, which is wholeness, is mastering what couldn't be handled and taken in stride so you can do it. And I think it's really simple to say how to do it, which is when something can't be handled, in that moment, a sensation is born. It's a living being. It was created in that moment. And it's a living being in the same way Carissa is. Like you were born in a moment, it was born in a moment. Mm -hmm. and is it like protective? Protect is it protective? No. Okay. There's two things that happen in that moment. One is you get stuck in the thing that happened, right? And the second is you find a way at that point to protect yourself from ever experiencing it happening again as best you can. So when there's something that can't be handled, you're going to act out one of two things. Either the thing that couldn't be handled or the way you try to protect yourself from making sure it never happens again, Okay. So two things happen in that moment. And if you can distinguish them, I'll tell you what I mean in a second. It really makes a difference. But for our purposes right now, let's not even go there. Let's just say in a moment when something couldn't be handled, in that moment, something got stuck. And all healing is, is mastering what got stuck so that it gets unstuck and you're free. 
And it's easy to say how to do that, like I say, which is when that happens, in that moment, the discomfort is born, right? Now, of course, it is protective. What do I mean by that? I'll give you an example. Let's suppose right now you believe, we'll, we'll make it simple. I'm Carissa. I am Carissa. I'm a now, right? I would say that's a protection, mm. right? Why? Because it's protecting you. Let's suppose suddenly you no longer, you said, wait a second, that can't be the truth. That's limited. Who I am is everything and everything is who I am. Except there's one problem at that point. You know what that is? Carissa as an independent being, what appears to be an independent being, of course, disappears. Just like a raindrop when it hits the water, looks like it disperses everywhere, right? So let's say it says, wait a second, I'm, I'm attached to being a raindrop, right? Well, gravity is going to pull it down. Gravity is attraction. The ocean is saying, I love you. And the raindrop is saying, uh, I don't think this is love. I think this is destructive non-existence. And I'm going to try to go up and not down. That takes a lot of energy and it doesn't work. And that's exactly what we do, right? So instead of saying who I am is everything and everything is who I am, which is who we truly are, we say, no, I'm something limited because then at least I exist, right? So I would say everything is a protection ultimately from an existential anxiety that we could call non-existence because we think non-existence is nothingness, but I would say it's the fullness of nothingness. It's everything that is nothing at the same time. It's like a black hole that sucked everything into it. That's the template. So it's everything. Who you are is everything, right? And then if you knew that, right, then you could say, but on the surface, I'm differentiated, which means if I knew I was everything, I could play out my unique role in every moment because I'd be in alignment with who I truly was, which was everything. And then I get to play my own part in that everything called the uniqueness of the surface. Mm. But you'd no longer be identified with the surface, but you'd know it existed, right? Mm -hmm. You'd say... I appear to be something that is different from everything else, just like a cell. We have three trillion cells, right? About. All of them on the surface are different. Every one of them. You'll never find two that are alike. They're kind of like living beings because they are living beings, right? Yes. But they have a thing called a template called DNA. Yeah. I have a good relationship with my cells. I talk to my cells when I heal myself of cancer. That's a great thing. Did you talk yeah. to the cancer too? I did. Yeah. Cancer cells, I everything, everything there. <laughs> I did. I had a whole like conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you talk to your cancer cells, you know. I don't know what your experience is. I'd love to know. I mean, I know something about that experience, and I know how oh, you do. Which a lot of people actually don't know, but I do. Um, and I normally know it. In personally, but I know it in the people I'm closest to. And mm -hmm. one of them taught me something. She said, you know, I, what I said to the cancer cells was, I love you. And I'm so sorry that we're going to have to do something to destroy you for some <laughs> large purpose here. I'm but sorry, I'm laughing. That's amazing. And, uh, she's an amazing person. Her name is Joni, and she's my co-author. And um, she's an amazing person. Wow, that's powerful. Like the warrior she is. I love that. Sending that love energy. 
He's a loving warrior, yeah. But mm. anyway, to go back, so if you could choose to become the discomfort in the same way that an actor chooses to become a character in a, or a role in a play or a movie, you could fully choose to be it and fully embody it, but you would know you weren't it. You would just say, it's something I'm experiencing, but it's not who I am. I'm just the experiencer. And I think that's true in life too. So what I'd say is, like, let's take a simple example. You're in my office, right? Motorcycle backfires. I like this example. And you start to have a panic attack, okay? And I say, Carissa, when you're having your panic attack, and if you're kinesthetic, you'll be laid out on my floor saying, and I say, okay, when you're having your panic attack, what's happening in the body? And let's say you were, like, actually able to talk to me at this point, which you probably could because you have a fair amount of observing ego, and you say, my heart's pounding fast. Well, I'm going to say something funny to you. I'm going to say, Chris, you're not having a panic attack. Your little toe is just fine, so it can't be you. But someone whose name is heart pounding fast is having a panic attack. And because they couldn't be taken in stride, you have unconsciously identified with them and you're living an echo out of their story. And in fact, it's the best clue you'll ever get to where it is they began. And here's how you're going to find them. You're going to choose to become heart pounding fast. And the second you choose to do that, something remarkable happens no longer unconsciously believe that that's your identity. You consciously believe that you're choosing to be them in the same way the actor chooses to be the character in the play, right? But really now, you're the one who says, I'm here with you, and I'm bearing witness to you, and I'm holding you, and I'm accepting you, and I'm not you. Mm. I'm going to give you what you never got at that time which is true acceptance. And you can experience anything you like and I'm gonna be here with you. And at that point, you become the big S self. You become like divinity within, right? And then something remarkable happens. Then you say whatever comes to you, except now it's heart pounding fast and speaking, not Carissa. And heart pounding fast, like, oh my God, bombs are going off and I can't stand it and people are dying and I'm gonna die, right? right? Except that would no longer be you. That would be heart pounding fast. And when heart pounding fast told you its whole story, all things being equal, something remarkable would happen, which is your heart would stop pounding fast. And you'd say, this is really weird. Pounding fast heart is gone. And it hasn't gone. It's just gone back into its pure form because it has now been accepted, right? Mm -hmm. And then the next time that motorcycle backfires, all things being equal, if that's the only reason you're having panic attacks, you would say, I have remembered that soldier from 20 years ago. And it's not who I am. It's just an experience I have. And that is all healing is. You have to find out three things. What you're really working on, because that... that uh, Reaction to loud sounds and panic attacks may be the problem that you want to work on directly, like for that soldier, or it may be a symptom of something else that's affecting many things, right? So ideally you find out if it's a symptom or the, the deeper thing that couldn't be handled. You have to find out where it originated because everything after that is just going to be an echo that's trying to help you remember the thing that couldn't be handled in the first place. And you have to ask that person or that being, because they may not even be a person, 
because you're you're a collective and you're not just a, I mean I think we're all exponentially you know multiples and we we're a whole community our souls a whole community well you know we have all kinds of things in there you know and we're one of those people or one of those beings but you have to say is there anything more you need other than sharing your story while I'm bearing witness to you and holding you and accepting um, you and if there is we'll find out what it is we'll give it to you but even if you didn't do that and if all you ever did was find a discomfort that was associated with the thing that you were anxious about or judgmental about or whatever, right? And you said, I'm going to choose to be with you and listen to you, but I'm not you. Whatever you shared at that point, whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're imagining, whatever you're remembering, is its story. And when it gets to share its story, it's amazing. Every problem that was associated with it either goes away or any judgmentalism or anxiety you have about it goes away at which point you don't have a problem right because if you're yeah. not judgmental or anxious well then everything becomes just one more experience and you know from you know in our world and you know the west you go from being jesus as an exemplar to being christ right Jesus, right before he dies, is cursing at his father. Say, why hast thou forsaken me? I was a good Jewish boy. I mean, you know, he says, why have, why have you forsaken me? And like, yeah, I can't, I can't believe. And I'm screaming at him, right? Well, I got a problem. I haven't been able to say yes to what's going to happen. But then I get into a different place, and when they think they're crucifying me, they're not crucifying me. They're just like killing a body. Because right? I say, I give my soul unto you. And I'm not anxious anymore. I'm not judging you anymore. I'm not comparing my lot to everybody else's. I'm just be, I'm just with what is. And if you can do that for everything, I promise you, you may feel pain, but you will never feel pain about the pain. And that's freedom. Mm. And when you do it enough, you get to say, you know what's really strange? What if I could say yes to everything? Everything. Everything that has ever happened is happening and potentially could happen. Now I'm the DNA. Now I am soul. And then I get to play my part. And that's what I think healing is. It's to become whole so you can know that who you are is everything and everything is who you are. At which point you would never do something to anyone else because they say to love your neighbor as yourself, except for the fact you'd have to say, but I am my neighbor. Because in the DNA, you could take that one little cell, right? called Dolly the sheep. You could take one cell and create the whole universe. One cell of that little sheep and they create an exact replica. Well, that's what we are. So your worst enemy is you, right? Your best friend is you. Star five gajillion years away is you. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all happening simultaneously. You know, that's why they say in physics, how is it that something could go faster than the speed of light? And the answer is, it's not going fast in the speed of light. It's all happening at the same time. And all the information that's happening everywhere is available to you right now. Mm. And that's the deal. And when you know that, you get to say, oh my gosh, I'm everything. Now, given that I'm everything, what is my unique differentiated role that I'm to play in that everything if I was free of all anxiety? Mm. I'm free to be who I am. And then you get to be you and you're doing this podcast or something and you're smiling all the time. Because you say, I woke up, I can't wait to do this podcast. <laughs> yes, I'm alive. 
this is a good thing. I was. I was really excited to do this podcast because I, I feel like a lot of your philosophy, I feel aligned with your philosophy of healing. And, and in fact, my husband was talking to a friend and saying, oh, he's had depression and anxiety. And I'm like, well, I, I already referred you <laughs> before I even interviewed you. I'm like, I'm going to be talking to this incredible doctor, Dr. Han today. And this is what he does. And so, yeah, we'll see if he reaches out. But I mean, there's so many people that could use your wisdom and your help and guidance. And I know that's why you wrote your book, The One Hour Miracle. So what inspired you to write it? What's it about? Uh, What inspired us to write it? Um, I've been doing this work now, the work I'm doing now, I've been doing since 1993. And I said, I have to write a book about it. And I started thinking about that in the late nineties. And I kept thinking about it. And um, what finally inspired, I kept making starts with it. And finally, you know, then Joni and I started to do it together because we became partners in our institute, but we weren't getting anywhere. And then we hired this young whippersnapper type person and said, if anything's ever going to happen here, you guys have to write a book proposal. So we said, that's probably true. So we wrote a book proposal. So he was the impetus, which is everybody has their role to play, right? Yeah. He got us going because he said, like, you know, we're going to, we have to make something happen here. That was his nice role. And he got us going and we wrote the book proposal and everyone said, because if you read our book, I mean, the simplicity of the book is what I told you in the beginning. Everything I've told you is the foundation of the book, right? But then, you know, we have some pretty wild stories in this book because you have to be open to everything, right? And, um, but anyway, so he inspired us to write it. And then we wrote the we wrote the book proposal and we sent it in. And everyone said we didn't have a big enough platform, so no one would want our book. So we said, okay, we'll just send it to the biggest, to the agent at Hay House, which was where we thought we wanted the book, who had who was the agent who had the most best sellers. He said, Why not go for the biggest agent there is in our field? So he sends us back something. That's what so we anyway, what inspired us to write it was that then it was just writing it. Yeah, we've been fooling around with it for years saying, you know, because, you know, I live, you know, it's like I live with aesthetic ideals. So it's like nothing will ever be like uh, the knowing of what I know it is inside of me trying to get it on a piece of paper. Mm. Well, you don't let the perfect get in the way of the good. At some point or other, you just say, what the heck? So then once he said that, we wrote the book proposal and this agent wrote us a nice letter back form letter when he got it on Friday and said, don't expect ever to hear from me again, which was nice. No, because, <laughs> he didn't have to respond at all if he's going right, to say I it. thought it was nice. I thought, you know, that's cool. So, um, but he sent us some kind of like thing like that. And he said, you know, I don't get back to people unless I want them. So on Monday, we get a phone call. <laughs> it turns out to be him and he said i want to talk with you guys we thought he was going to say well i'm not interested but you know i'm going to take some pity on you and so we call him back on wednesday and he says the first thing he says is um i want to be your agent i've been in this field for 50 years and in the cutting edge of this field for 15 i know what's out there no one's doing what you're doing 
And you know how we knew that? The little whatever. He read one half of one of our sample chapters, which was all about a depression that went away in one session. And he said, no one's doing this. And actually, if you want to know about, you know, I told you, I'll tell you quickly. I told you that your symptom could either be the reliving of a trauma or it could be the way you protected yourself. He clearly read the one that was about the protection. So we had this young man who came in with a major depression and it seemingly was biological. It kept coming back the same time every year for three years. And, you know, he lost all interest in life and said, I don't care about anything. Okay. And his mother thought, yeah, I should put him on medication, which I have nothing against medication. I think medication can do, I think anything can move energy. So some healers say, forget it. I think it can be, I, I feel like it's temporary, but you know, I'm not a professional, so. Well, that's okay. Um, I am, and I still think, I don't know everything anyway. So, but anyway, so, but they didn't want to put him on medication and he didn't want to go on medication. So he came in and I found out doing our diagnostic that the thing that he thought was his problem, which was this major depression, wasn't the problem. It was a protection from something worse. Now, I want you to know he thought I was a little bit crazy to say, like, you're telling me my depression isn't the problem. It's a protection from a worse problem. Mm -hmm. I said, uh-huh. And we can even find what it is. So we're going to go in and we're going to find the thing you call your depression, right? Mm -hmm. And we are going to ask it where it began and what was happening and how it was protecting you and what it's come to share. So he could easily find his depression. It was called, he called it heavy wet oatmeal. And he dropped his attention into heavy wet oatmeal. And then what happens is you either start to relive a scene, you see it, or you know what it is. It's like you're either a character in a play, you're watching a movie, or you're reading a novel. And how and old was he in his 20s? He was in his 20s when this yeah. And he was actually, he had, yeah. um, he had had a major depression, his this was his first year of college. So he had had one in his junior year of high school at Christmas time, in his senior year of high school at Christmas time, and at um, his freshman year of college. And it always looked the same and it lasted for several months. And this was, he was now like a month or two into it because it was like early February and it started around Christmas time. So they said, well, you know, they thought, you know, seasonal affective disorder, that's something or whatever. I said, no, it's not that. I found out it began somewhere between ages zero and five, and it was a choice he made. That's all I found out, that his depression was not the reliving of the problem. It was the reliving of the way he protected himself from something worse. Okay. So I say, you're going to become heavy white oatmeal. And we're then going to say, heavy white oatmeal, you teach us. Where are you beginning and what's happening and how how did you protect this being? And what have you come to share? And you know what he says? He gets this vivid memory that he had sort of knew something about because it becomes very immediate when you really ask the, the being who really knows what's going on as opposed to you try to figure it out, which you'll never do anyhow because your head doesn't know anything, right? So but your body does. The body yeah. knows everything. Yes. And, and every body, I would say every discomfort is actually a story of a being that couldn't handle something. And every time you can't handle something, there will be a, an associated discomfort. So there's that's one way we can use the body to say the body knows. There's another way we can use the body, which says the body just knows what's true. 
So the body does two things for us. It's a record of everything that ha ever happened, and it's the one who can know everything that ever happened. Both of those are called body know. But anyway, we found this sensation, which was the body knew when he brought his attention to having went oatmeal. And then he said, oh, I know exactly what's happening. He started to actually experience it very vividly, this memory that he had been sort of told about, but he didn't know. And he's down in his basement. He's clearly three or four years old, and he's made a special gift for his father, right? And he's trying to give his father this gift down in the basement. He's very creative. He, this is actually, he works unbelievably with his hands. He makes this thing for his father, and his father not only doesn't accept it, but pushes him away. And he's he's now really in it. He's saying, Daddy, accept my gift. And his father's walking up the stairs and keeps pushing him away. And he walks outside. His father was having a lot of trouble at the time. I know something about what was happening there. And his father was very preoccupied and not receptive to anything. Kind of real significant problems. So yeah. the, father, the father then gets into a truck and drives off. And you know what? You know what Nate says because he lets us use his name. Nate says at that moment he says, "I don't care." <laughs> he didn't know he said that to himself. He said that to himself. He knew it when he remembered it. Now, "I don't care" is a precursor to adult major depression because what is major depression? It's the non-feeling. And there was so much pain and grief there. Mm. And that little three-year-old couldn't handle it. So the only way he could handle it was to dissociate. Right? Mm -hmm. so, okay. So I said, oh, well then, your depression was a protector you asked to come in, protect you. Yeah. Because it was the best choice you could have made as a three-year-old. Okay. Mm. So you can make a difference. That makes choice. sense. That right? makes sense. As a three-year-old, yeah, definitely. Right. All right. So I said, here's what you're going to do. That that traumatized three-year-old and the protection is what we call heavy white oatmeal. But it's not who you are. It's just a choice you made, a choice a traumatized three-year-old made. So what we're going to do is we're going to heal the three-year-old and we're going to let go of the protection. So what you're going to do is you're going to thank the depression called heavy white oatmeal because it probably saved your life emotionally. And you're going to say, I don't need you anymore. And then what you're going to do is you're going to bring it outside of you because you asked it to come in as of that three-year-old. So you're going to bring that three-year-old outside of you and you're going to bring the protection outside of you, which you can do because you asked it to come in and you're not that three-year-old anymore. You can bear witness to him. So he said, that's a weird idea, but he could do it. He brought it outside and I said, here's what you're going to do. Because there's a standard practice. There's all kinds of things you could do at that point. But there's a standard practice, which all you do is you channel loving energy into the heavy white oatmeal until it totally gets infused with it, at which point it just transforms. And the three-year-old gets healed and the protection just goes into its pure form and it's happy because it doesn't like being heavy, wet, dense oatmeal, but you know, you ask it to do it, it says fine. Okay, and then what you do is you say, all right, now who you really were, a truer you was hidden you could say was hiding and then was hidden to you underneath it. So just go into the spaciousness because you ought to feel more spacious right now because you just had all this heavy, dense, wet oatmeal that is no longer there. Go into the spaciousness that was underneath it and find that truer you. He goes inside. He says, oh, my goodness. I see this little boy who has golden hair. I can see him and he's dancing around. And that's really who I am, this like creative, alive, vital little boy. And I said, why don't you put your hand on your body? right where he's been hiding out because he's smaller than you are. And he said, okay, I can do that. He put his hand on his body where it was. And I said, why don't you invite it out to come and touch your hand? 
and to go forward and back and left and right, up and down until he fills you fully and you are him. And you get to keep your childlike wonder that he has, but you also get to have all your life experience because you now know a lot more than he knew at age three. And he did that. And he smiled. And then he said, okay, so, but I had this depression that I got that had no, you know, there was no precursor. There was no, nothing, there was no, nothing, I, what's the word I'm blanking out, you know, when, you know, was a cause. Said, you want to know? So nothing happened to me. Nothing happened to me like a couple months ago. So how come I got depressed? I said, I don't know. Why don't you just recreate heavyweight oatmeal and ask it? Mm -hmm. So he did. You can ask it to come back. He had it come back and he asked it. And you know what it said? No. I'm going to tell you. He knew immediately what happened because he was that. And that brought him back to what that moment that he got depressed. And here's what happened. His father right, who had uh, at this point remarried and was with two toddlers, um, he asked his father to go to his opening night of his um, improv show. He was the head of an improv troupe. And the father said, I'm so sorry, Nate, but I can't go because we made an agreement that we have these two little, like, toddler people, and we're not doing any activities. I'm so sorry. And you know what he says? He says, Dad, that's all right. I don't care. He didn't remember saying that even. Uh, day, he goes into a major depression that had now lasted a month and a half and had no signs of going away. Mm -hmm. So he says, okay, smarty pants. My father went to my senior play, so how come I got depressed the year before that? You know what I said? I said, why don't you ask heavyweight oatmeal? Mm -hmm. He comes every, he brings his attention back to heavyweight oatmeal. He says, oh, I know exactly what happened, right? Said, I made a special gift for my girlfriend. I know something about him and his girlfriend. I didn't even know his girlfriend. Um, he made this gift for his girlfriend. And he's giving her the gift. And he can see subliminally that she's giving him this fake smile. And she doesn't want the gift at all. <laughs> and all of this. That happens to me. Right. Well, yes, but you probably, I mean, you as the receiver or as the giver? receiver i'm saying it happens as a receiver i'm okay i'm i don't take it personally if somebody doesn't really want the gift because i i would assume if they wanted something they would just buy it what they wanted or get well, it that's because when you were three years old if you didn't try to give your father a special gift and he like totally that's rejected true you. that's true exactly it's, it's all subjectively you know that's right your that's experience story. yeah Everybody has different. But anyway, he says, oh, my God, I know exactly what happened. I gave her this gift, and she's giving this smile, and she's taking the gift. And, I know <laughs> and the next day, it went into a major depression that lasted for three months. Wow. So then I said, then That's he says, well, I got it. I don't have to make this choice anymore. And he says, his mother comes in. He says, I'm starving. I want a double cheeseburger. And his depression went away and did not come back. Again, it went away that moment and didn't. And now I'm not going to say all major depressions go away like that. And yeah, that's just one example. I understand. Right, because sometimes there's a lot of layers. But if it's if your major depression is one story, I will guarantee pretty much that it will go away in one session. Yeah, it could be five stories or twenty or twenty. Exactly. That's why I tell mm -hmm. people it's like an archaeological dig. You know. <laughs> 
I had another woman who had five different symptoms, one of which was a major depression, and that was the reliving of a trauma, and it went away, and the four other symptoms went away all in the half hour. Her major depression, her fear of crowds, her, her chronic pain, her um, alienation. No, she had four. She <laughs> said, but she said, if I was in a relationship right now, it would have been five because I know something <laughs> about that in the past. Her story was very different. She had this Oh, life. that's interesting. Did you feel like a superhero at that point? No. Clearing all those? Okay. I didn't clear them. They all got enfolded into a story where she had her head cut off in the French Revolution. You want to know how she described her depression? She said, I feel weighed down. I feel helpless. I feel hopeless. I can't move. Right? We think she's talking metaphorically. She's not. She's talking literally. She's in a story where she's weighed down, helpless, hopeless, can't move. When I had her focus in that, her neck started to hurt really, really badly. It's a long story. Oh, this was a past life. Uh Past life. If you believe in past lives, it was. If you don't, I do. Well, then for you, it was a past life. If you said past lives, uh, I don't think so. I'd say, well, it's imaginal or it's a <laughs> mythology or it's an undreamed dream. I don't care because if your major depression goes away and your fear That's of pride, right. right, and your chronic neck pain that you thought was whiplash, but no doctor has been able to touch you, getting no results for like years. Why? Because no one ever thought for the fact that they had put you face up and you're watching this guillotine come down in your head and the only thing you can move is your neck and you're violently wrenching your neck away to try to get away from this guillotine and you're saying you're screaming at God and saying, I will never believe in you again and you're weighed down and helpless and hopeless and you can't move and you're in front of a crowd of people and they're screaming at you and you say, I'll never be in front of a crowd of people again, right? And now you have major depression, chronic neck pain, alienation and fear of crowds all folded into one story you know what she says at the end of the story she's screaming all of this stuff she was very kinesthetic she said i must have died i said well here's your problem you didn't know you had died you left your body you dissociated before you died so you're living out an echo of that person's story you're trying to remember what happened in seven you know in the french revolution okay so here's what you're going to do you're going to tell that woman she died and we're going to take her back in and we're going to take her through a death process and this time, she's going to choose to leave her body as opposed to doing it automatically because she was too afraid of the pain. So mm. we just come back into your body right before you die and then leave through the crown of your head right as you're dying. And you don't have to re-experience it. You know what she says? Mm. She says, which one? The, the one that's rolling down the hill or the energetic one that's still on the top of my head? That was kind of funny. Laugh now. <laughs> Laugh now. <laughs> Insert. Right. So she goes, but she goes out through the crown of her head. She sees a light up above her. She says, I'm going to the light. She goes to the light. She has a beautiful smile on her face. And she said, I'm done. And she's in front of this whole crowd of people. And they start asking her questions because she's in an amphitheater. She starts turning her head side to side. She said, I can't do this because I, I can't. I don't have that range of movement. And if I did, I'd be screaming in pain, but I'm not feeling any pain. And then she says a half a minute later, she says, this is really weird. I'm in front of this crowd of people that I should think they want to kill me, but I don't think that anymore. I'm having a great time. And like, you know, and she says, I don't feel weighed down. I don't feel helpless. And I can even feel the presence of God. And all that happened in 30 minutes. But I will tell you, I had somebody who wanted to have a blood draw, and it took us a year and a half so that you could have a blood draw and barely could make it happen because there were like 50 stories in that one. Yeah. So, so everybody's different. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. And um, I-, I feel like you your approach is unique in the respect that you feel like a philosopher and you also feel like a monk. You also feel like a researcher. And 
you're so pragmatic and, and just, and you're fun too. Like you have this lightness about you. Like how did you discover this approach? I believe you call it life-centered therapy. Yes, we call it life-centered therapy. Yeah. And, and what has been your background because of this like knowledge of quantum physics and you're just like so deep in your, um, in your presence and also your spiritual growth. Well, thank you. Believe me, uh, you're getting me at my best. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I have no claims of being a guru or anything else. And I still am working on stuff and I've been doing this for 30 years. And as my dear co-author says, some of the hardest stuff that's your deepest fears about yourself that really are sort of existential. She said, it's like climbing a mountain and uh, every step you take, it's like you get more tired and you, you know, the air gets thinner and uh, you have less resources and you still can't see the summit and you're still taking step after step. And the only way you've gotten some, you know, you've gotten some places, you look back where you came from and you say, I may not know where the summit is, but at least... You know, I know where I'm coming from. And you might get a glimpse of the summit. That That's true. You might get a glimpse. And that's pretty cool. You know, the clouds break out and some, you, know, you hit one place where you say, oh, my God, it's there somewhere. Um, I'll tell you, I'll, I'm, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and I studied everything you could imagine because that was the kind of program I was in. Okay. And then I had a dream. And in this dream, basically... Um, it was a very vivid dream about four years after I got done. And the upshot of the dream was that there was this enormous lion in my house that was two stories high and it was growling at me. And I thought it was going to kill me and there was no way out. Right. I couldn't get around it down the stairs. And I thought if I ran out and jumped out the window, I'd crush myself. So there was no way out. And then a voice came from this deep voice came from my bedroom and said, like, match the emotions of the lion. If you truly match them, everything will be all right. So I'm there in this dream and I'm like, start clawing and I'm roaring and everything. I don't believe it for a second. But then in one second, I suddenly am really doing it. And the second I'm really doing it, the scene shifts to my backyard. And this is two-story lion sunning itself like a golden retriever puppy dog. And I said, this is so cool. I have a golden retriever in my backyard. And I think that's when I really realized that if you could match the thing that if you could really become by choice, the thing you were most afraid to experience and say, I can be here with you and I can marry you, right? You can become free. And after that happened, I started having all these unusual experiences. And they mm. had an experience where I went to visit a friend and she'd fallen the day before I went there and had done something terrible to her ankle. But she wanted, She had gone on spiritual retreat and she wanted to show me the holy grounds of the Self-Realization Fellowship. I'll try to be quick. And when we're walking- In the Palisades? Uh, no, that's in Los Angeles. This was the one in Encinitas. Oh, okay. Wonderful. I've never been to that one. Okay. Go there. I've been. Okay. We were walking around the holy grounds and her ankle was really swollen and discolored and she was in excruciating pain. And we get to these two benches and he said, you're going to have to carry me out of here. So I, I, helped her, I can't walk another step. So I put her on the end of one bench and then I had to walk all the way around to get to the other end of the other bench so she could elevate her leg. 
And the second I sat down, I was flooded with light. Oh. I knew it wasn't the sun because I knew the sun was over to the left and I knew this light was much more above my head. And I just said to her, you know, her ankle was there. I just said, I'm going to channel this light to her ankle. And I do that for a little while, like a few seconds. She said, you know, I can read auras, don't you? Because I didn't know my friend was an Indian mystic. And she, and I said, Roshan, I said, I'm a nice Jewish boy from Boston. This is 1991. I said, what do I know from auras? She said, are you aware that there's pure light coming through the crown of your head into the center of your chest and out my, your hand to my ankle? And are you aware that you sat in this really strange place? It's called the seat of the healer. People just don't sit there. And I said, wow, about, but I know it's true. And then we look down and there's no swelling and there is no discoloration. And she gets up and she walks out of there with no pain. And I said, we're not in Kansas anymore. Right. Uh Then you knew. See, there's something in your in your past life, I believe, about that, that those abilities shining through in this lifetime. So anyway, that's then I went and studied everything. I studied the Enneagram. I studied mystery trainings i studied everything you could imagine and then i learned from then i learned with a colleague i learned about muscle testing and uh yeah, and i do that i love muscle testing well i use it too i use it to find out what your real really deepest intention is and where you're stuck and what to do that's where if you need something entirely different but anyway that's my background and that was over 30 that. years ago now i'm doing what i'm doing and you know and I'm living my, uh, as my life work, I'm really lucky. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that story. What is your mission? My mission is to free the world of suffering so that everybody can live the life that they are really the life of their soul. That's my mission. Mm, I want to change, you know, I want to have a conversation in this field because I think we could do something way better. I think there's a paradigm we could have that if you start with all of life, right? Not with cognition or behavior or even mindfulness, which is really about mind, but doesn't say anything about heartfulness particularly. So doesn't really, mindfulness doesn't get you to be Sufi dancing, so to speak, or, you know, anything. If you could start with everything and say, we're going to open to all possibilities for what could be going on and what could transform us. And I want everyone to know, and I want everyone to understand what people are like from the inside out so we could be, you know, have more empathy and more understanding and more ability to really, you know, imagine what it's really like from the inside out for other people, because, you know, we could be them. And that's my mission. Mm, Thank you for sharing. What's yours? (laughs) Okay, I'll just, to heal the world. Very, very similar. (laughs) Um, I hadn't thought about it, but that's what came out of me when you asked me and now my heart's vibrating. So there you go. Yeah. What's that? So we're both vibrating. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. So can we share a little bit, uh, some tips for the audience that how to get rid of anxiety? Are there sequential steps yeah, i'm going to tell, tell your audience what i would do if i knew nothing else what i do is i would breathe as deeply as i could and when i'm feeling anxious because there's different kinds of anxiety but we're going to make it simple okay if i'm feeling anxious there will be a discomfort that's associated with it 
it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be developmental or it's going to be traumatic. Traumatic is you're going to have judgment about it and you're going to have anxiety about your anxiety. But anyway, when you're feeling anxious about anything, all I want to invite your audience to do is scan the body and notice what you're feeling in the body. Your heart will beat fast. Your throat will close up. You might have a pain somewhere. You might have an empty feeling. You might have a heavy feeling, whatever it is. And what I would then do is I would say, I'm going to bring all my attention to that discomfort. And I'm going to say, okay, I'm here with you. What if you come to share sick to stomach feeling or throat closing up? What if you come to share about anxiety? And I'll just listen to you. And I'll be here with you and I'll accept you. And then I would speak out loud and I would say whatever comes to you. And if all you did was that, you'd be doing well. If you want to know something else, if you could learn, if you, if you learn, if you go and learn what's called emotional freedom technique and you do a little bit of acupressure while you're doing that, it can only help. I mean, you know, there are all kinds of practices you can do. It's probably if I gave somebody one practice, I would probably give them either for anxiety, I give them either tapping and you can go and just look up emotional freedom technique and learn it. Or if mm -hmm. you want to make your life really simple, you could just put your hand very lovingly on your forehead. Like, mm -hmm. like if you had the best mother who was here saying, I'm with you mm -hmm. and I'm supporting you and I'm here and I will just be with you while you let the sensation speak. And that's called stress release. And it actually, you can, it actually, you can read what it does in the body. They've done research on just putting your hand on your forehead and it's a great little practice and anybody can do it if you can do it. And if you can't, because your arms are paralyzed, just imagine putting your hand on your forehead. And that's what I would say if I had one shot with your audience. Mm, thank you for that. What is Zen success to you? You. Mm -hmm. Yours and success. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure getting to know well, you. I want to know what's in success to you, which is <laughs> I'm supposed to be interviewing you. <laughs> having a conversation. Zen success to me is being fulfilled no matter what's going on in your life. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> and guess what? I'm sure you know this. It's different every time someone yeah. asks me. Yeah. Uh, so next time, if you ask me, I wouldn't say it's you. But I don't think it was a bad answer because look what you shared when you just spoke what you spoke. Yeah. I couldn't any better than that. And it's true. Mm, thank you. I feel that. And just closing up our conversation today, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you, hearing about your book, The One Hour Miracle. Everybody buy it for the incredible healing and stories that are in it. I'll put the website and how to order your book in the show notes. You can say it now too, if you'd like, Dr. Uh, Hahn. You can get, obviously you can buy the book any place. Um, if you buy it from Amazon and you write us a review, I will be indebted to you deeply. <laughs> Our website is called lifecenteredtherapy.com. And uh, it tells us, it tells you everything about our work and 
uh, it has all of our certified practitioners because there's a lot of us and we all work remotely. So you can be anywhere in the universe and we can work with you. And it tells all about our training. And if you want to reach me directly, I do answer my own email. And then my email address is Ahan, Andy Han, Ahan, A H A H N. Okay. And we'll put that in the show notes. Okay. That's good. That's good. Well, thanks for being on my show today, Dr. Han. Appreciate you. Well, um, thank you for having me. And I appreciate you and I appreciate the opportunity to share this. And, you know, you've been a godsend to me. So thank you so much. My pleasure. That's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to shows. Zen Success is also available on the radio in select markets through amfm247.com. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. Be sure to head on over to zensuccessshow.com to help you on your Zen Success journey. And join us on the next episode. May you find your own Zen Success in life.